0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, January 23rd. I'm Virginia Allen. Taiwan recently held a presidential election and chose Lee Ching Ta as their new president. Heritage Foundation research fellow in the Asian Studies Center, Michael Cunningham, was in Taiwan for the election and says that America could learn a thing or two from Taiwan's very transparent election process. He joins us on the show today to explain the challenges that President Lai has in front of him as China continues to pose a threat to Taiwan. He also explains why Taiwan's freedom from China is critical to America's interest. Stay tuned for our conversation. But first, if you or someone you know works in higher education, listen up. We all know that the academic environment is particularly challenging for faculty who research, publish, teach, or develop programs in areas that explore things like economic freedom, the dignity of the person, human flourishing, constitutional governance, national sovereignty, and other areas that are related to freedom and opportunity and traditional American values. And funding opportunities for such programs are scarce. That's why the Heritage Foundation established the Freedom and Opportunity Academic Prizes to recognize and provide financial awards to faculty at higher education institutions. The deadline to apply is February 1st. Winners will receive a financial award of $15,000 in recognition of their past accomplishments, the importance of their current work, and their future promise in the academy, especially in relation to public policy. Again, the application deadline is February 1st. For more information and to apply, visit heritage.org slash innovation prize. Again, that website is heritage.org slash innovation prize. Heritage Foundation Research Fellow who researches and writes on China in the Asian Studies Center at the Heritage Foundation. Michael Cunningham joins us now. Michael, welcome back to the show and welcome back to the United States from Taiwan.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Well, you were in Taiwan during their elections. These were elections that were watched very, very closely given the implications that they have. Explain, if you would, what it was like in Taiwan on Election Day. What was the atmosphere like?
1: Well, it was... um, uh, On the one hand, just like any other day, I mean, it only takes people a a few minutes to vote in Taiwan. So it's a very uh, quick process. Mm. Um, It's on a Saturday, and so it doesn't disrupt their their work too much. Um, But um, it was, you know, there was a lot of energy. We usually don't see so many foreign observers in Taiwan. Mm. And and it seems uh, the uh, international community is even more uh, interested in the election than uh than the locals were uh, although they did have you know about seventy i believe it was seventy one percent turnout wow but um it's uh it's fascinating actually just to see how it works um you know the quick uh voting process they wait in a very short line show their their i d get their ballots, go in a little booth and um they're pretty much done. And it's all um,
0: paper ballots, correct? It's all
1: paper ballots, that's correct. Um and that helps especially if uh if there's a, any question about legitimacy of of the results, then they're able to go back and they have they have the papers there uh to show um, they also collect a, a copy of the ID of everyone who's voted, and so they also ha- have that additional check as well. If there's more than one copy of someone's ID, then well, then then they know that, that it wasn't s- supposed to <laughs> have happened. Yeah. Yes. But um, I, you know, I was able to watch the count uh, as soon mm-hmm. as the polls closed at at four. Then about thirty forty minutes after that, they started counting the votes, and it's um just a very smooth process. Um, the count is open to the public. Anyone can go into their polling station or or into any polling station and watch them count the vote. So um, I, I really think there's a lot we can learn there or, or at least reference as we try sure. to make our, our elections maybe more transparent or maybe less um uh, less subject to
0: certainly yeah
1: to to uh, accusations
0: certainly well and given Taiwan's situation with China there was great concern that there was just there was great uh, emphasis put on just needs for there to be transparency with this election making sure that China wasn't interfering in any way share with us if you would who the Taiwanese people have chosen as their new president what do we know about him
1: yeah so Lai Chingda, he's the, the current vice president He was the candidate of the Democratic Progressive Party, which is, you know, portrayed sort of in media as being a pro-independence party. Um, And it officially is based on the the party's platform. Um, But in practice, they do not advocate changing the status quo. President-elect Lai is very much disliked by Beijing because he has a history of uh, overtly advocating for formal independence, Um, But on the campaign trail, he he really went back to to, to the more mainstream position, which is the position of of the current president, Tsai Ing-wen, which is that Taiwan is already a a sovereign state and has no need to declare formal independence. That's a good thing because a declaration of formal independence, Beijing has has consistently said that it would respond um, with with military force if that were to occur and so yeah just to emphasize uh president elect lie uh would not be able to declare independence even if he wanted to it's just institutionally nearly impossible okay. to do so and at the same time he does not seem based on all he's been saying in the uh, over the past year or so he that is not on his agenda um but Uh, Beijing deeply distrusts him, uh, dislikes him, and is going to try its hardest to ensure that he's a one-term president.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I watched some of his remarks in his acceptance speech after he won the election, and he was very clear and very pointed that he is going to be a president who is ready to stand against China and who uh, is very concerned about maintaining freedom for the people of Taiwan. If you would, Michael, talk us through just a little bit of the history between China and Taiwan. Why is there so much controversy there?
1: China and Taiwan have, at, at one point, they were part of the same country. Hmm. Um, uh, well, and at a couple points in their history, they were. Um, and they they most recently split uh, at at the end of the civil war between Mao Zedong's communists and the um, what is, you know, the nationalist government, which was led by the KMT, the Kuomintang, which is one of the parties, uh, one of the opposition parties in in Taiwan today. Um, Prior to that, you know, Taiwan had a long history also of, of being colonized by various countries, most recently Japan, during, uh, well, before and during World War II. And so it was really only at the end of World War II that um, that Taiwan was handed back to China. Hmm. Um, Taiwan never belonged to the People's Republic of China. Okay. It was the Republic of China, and when, when Mao Zedong and the communists... Uh, gained power in the mainland um, at, towards the end of the Civil War. That's when Chiang Kai-shek, who was the leader um, of the nationalist government at, at the time, fled to Taiwan. And so there's sort of been that, that feud ever since where it's sort of um, seen both as um, sort of a relic of the—or uh, or unfinished business of, of the Civil War— At the same time, Taiwan has immense geopolitical value um, for whoever controls it. And so uh, the CCP in Beijing would love to have uh, access or to have control of Taiwan. But overall, you know, it's just a a very uh, it's a subject of a lot of uh, nationalistic fervor uh, Mm -hmm. in China, thanks primarily to the propaganda that the CCP has Uh, used around Taiwan uh, over the past several decades.
0: For President Lai, then, what are his challenges looking at his presidency and navigating that quite tense relationship with China?
1: Yeah, so he's not in an easy position. Uh, In a way, it's actually easier for uh, someone from the KMT to uh, deal with with these threats because um, Beijing Beijing, uh, is... Deeply distrusts the the DPP, uh, the the party that that Lai is is a part of. Um, it believes that the DPP is uh, intent on seeking formal independence from China, uh, and because of that, it is going to keep the pressure on Lai, uh, especially you know a- according to Beijing. Tsai Ing-wen, the current president, who's been very moderate, is actually a, an extreme, an extremist, and a separatist, according to Beijing. And so, lie uh, even more so. If if one of his opponents would have been elected, there would have been a greater chance that Beijing would have taken its foot off the gas pedal, as far as as, as the um, uh, the pressure tactics it uses against uh, against Taiwan. Um, it would have been more willing to come to the bargaining table and and talk about de-escalation, uh, whereas with with lion power he's. Having to strengthen Taiwan's uh, deterrence and its defense, while at the same time probably going to have to constantly be responding to provocations by Beijing. Okay. So that's that's very difficult. Taiwan has very significant uh, socioeconomic problems that it's trying to deal with, and that Lai is is expected by the voters to uh, to address. And uh, as long as he's constantly having to respond to provocations by Beijing. His job is just going to be that much harder.
0: How likely is it that under Lai's presidency, we would see China move forward in force and actually try to invade Taiwan?
1: Very unlikely, actually. Now, it was very unlikely before um, he was elected, and it remains very unlikely. Now, the threat here is that um, China's uh, military provocations are not going to to cease. they're not going to become less prevalent uh, with with Cai, with, with Lai as president. Um, Beijing very much distrusts him and is going to keep keep the pressure on him as much as possible. Now, what that means is there is constantly going to be the, the risk that the military tension is going to escalate to the point of, of armed conflict that nobody wants, including Beijing. Um, the only thing that would make it more likely uh, for Beijing to uh, attack Taiwan would be if Taiwan declared independence formally, if the U.S. established diplomatic relations with Taiwan, which Beijing would view as as pretty much being akin to a de facto permanent separation of the two sides of the Strait, um, none of those are in the cards right now. Just, just as an idea, if if Lai wanted to declare. Formal independence of Taiwan, it would almost definitely require a constitutional amendment, okay. which would which is almost impossible to push through the political process in in Taipei. Um, very smart uh, policies have been made to make it essentially impossible that Taiwan can either unify willingly with China or declare independence, which would result in an armed attack. So uh, Lai and everyone in the mainstream in in Taiwan is very much in support of the status quo. And even if he's not, he will not be able to move in in that direction.
0: (laughs) Here in the United States, what have we seen from the Biden administration? Are they in support of maintaining the status quo? Are they wanting to see changes? What have we been hearing?
1: Uh, They're in support of the status quo as well. That's basically uh, across the board. Um, You do see sometimes campaign rhetoric um, from one politician or another or sometimes on Capitol Hill. Um, where people do not have, you know, as um, th- they and their staff might not um, be as keyed into what's at stake. Every now and then you hear uh, a statement in support of changing the status quo. But by and large, um, the entire political community here in the United States is in favor of t- keeping the status quo. Um, when President Biden was asked what he thinks about lies election victory, he made it very clear that we, meaning the United States, do not support uh, de, uh, de facto independence. And it's, you know, it's not that we do not support the fact that Taiwan functions as an independent state. It's just that we uh, do not want to go to war mm-hmm. over Taiwan. And we recognize that um, the vast majority of Taiwan's public also uh, favors maintaining the status quo.
0: Okay. Fascinating. Why, why is it in America's interest for Taiwan to remain out of China's control?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question and one that politicians are increasingly having to grapple with as, as China becomes increasingly strong and assertive just the the thought of ending up in a war with China over Taiwan or over anything should should frighten every American. Taiwan is actually a core interest of the United States, both because of its geo uh, geopolitical or i frankly its geographic position. Mm-hmm. It is very important to keeping China sort of restrained within its own uh, its own sphere of influence to keep it. From um, exerting its its influence throughout uh, Asia, throughout the Pacific, and you know, in, ensuring that it's that it's stealing, ensuring that it's that it's not able to uh, threaten the United States uh, and our allies. Um, just as an example, we are treaty bound to uh, to come to Japan's defense should it ever be attacked. Well, from Japan's perspective the fall of Taiwan to mainland China would actually be an existential threat mm-hmm. because uh, China would then have control of the waters around Taiwan and would be able to uh, prevent uh, Japan from, from getting essentially any energy resources. Uh, that's just one one reason. But ultimately, China would like to to, to push the United States out of Asia, um, would, would like to have, you know, more free reign around the world, it would just make it. W- it would make it much harder for us to uh, avoid getting into a conflict with China if China had access to Taiwan and was able to break through that that first island chain that really pins it pins it in close to its its own borders. The other uh, issue is we are uh, very much reliant on Taiwan uh, economically, mm-hmm. and that's very little understood by most people, actually. But um, not only do we rely on Taiwan for our semiconductors, which there's really, it took Taiwan 40 years to develop its semiconductor, almost you could say semiconductor hegemony. Um, But at the same time, um, it's not only semiconductors, uh, it's basically consumer goods generally, uh, anything that's manufactured, Taiwan plays a central role in manufacturing. We don't see things come with a made in Taiwan label Mm -hmm. because they're made in China and in other countries, but they're made by Taiwanese companies. And should Taiwan uh, ever find itself at at war and, um, you know, its companies be unable to sustain or, or to continue uh, directing the factories that they have in China and elsewhere, much of global manufacturing would just come to a standstill. The, the way the, the Financial Times put it last year in one article was they said that even if the United States could move uh, semiconductor manufacturing back to the US, if, if war occurred in Taiwan, what we would have then would be made-in-America chips and nothing to put them in.
0: Mm, wow. Well, it sounds like President Lai does not have an easy job ahead.
1: <laughs> Definitely not. Any president-elect would have a difficult job ahead, and for him, with, with as, as much as Beijing dislikes him— Um, His job is just that much harder. Oh, yeah. And and he he only got 40 percent of the votes.
0: Okay. Um,
1: And so he doesn't really have a popular mandate either. He does not have a legislative majority. Oh, wow. Um, So he has work. His work work cut out for him.
0: Well, uh, we certainly wish him and the people of Taiwan all the best in this new chapter. Of their, of their nation. But Michael, thank you for going to Taiwan, for being there, being able to report back about what you saw. We really appreciate it and we appreciate your analysis today.
1: Well, thank you. It's always great to be here.
0: And I encourage all of our listeners, check out Michael Cunningham's work at heritage.org. You can find all of his reporting there, his research there. And also make sure, Michael, you're on social media as well, correct?
1: I am. <laughs> um, I, uh,
0: can I'm, folks I'm, follow I'm not, your work a bit there? They
1: can. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not the most prolific uh, social media user. You but know, I yes. think
0: that's a good thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye
0: that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for being with us here on the Daily Signal Podcast. If you have not had the chance, make sure that you check out our evening show. It's right here in this same podcast feed where every weekday we bring you the top news of the day. Also take a minute to subscribe to the Daily Signal Podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We're across all podcast platforms and take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review. Thanks again for being with us today. We'll see you right back here at 5 p.m. to catch up on the news of the day. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Louie and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.